Greetings and salutations, fellow geeks and nerds. My name is Gareth, and this is the Geeks Journal podcast. We're back. That's right. Second episode. Very excited. Thanks to everyone for taking the time out to listen to the first one. It's been a lot of fun, and we thought that we'd come back and you bother you a little bit more. Returning to the podcast, we have my very good friends, Ollie and Luke. Gentlemen, hello. Welcome back. Hello. Thanks for having us back. Hello. Thank you. And joining the collective for his first episode of the podcast, another one of my dear, and in fact, my oldest friend, the Elwood to my Jake, the Harry to my Lloyd, the Jay to my Silent Bob. Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome to the show, Damien. Hello there, sir. Hello. Oh, what an introduction. <laughs> uh, so listeners, obviously, we went through some of the some of our backstories last episode. For Damien and I, really, is a, is, a, is a tale almost as old as time. We're going back about borderline 30 years now, I think, primary school. <laughs> yeah, primary school. And... Uh... And gossip around there was another doctor who fan that's right yeah it was all through doctor who one whole primary school and they just said yes there's only two of yeah, you so yeah. you two should probably yeah. be friends <laughs> yeah <laughs> and went from there finally got on found out our, our mum's got on um it's fine to socialise. And I turned up five minutes late, which you commented on, and I've never been late to anything ever since. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, usually it's me that's the... It's usually me that's the tardy one. Yeah, so if, I, if I've ever early for anything, guys, it's his fault. <laughs> he gave me a complex all those years ago. Well, it's good to see you, Matt. I appreciate you taking the time out to join us today. Glad to be here. So, listeners... I was thinking long and hard for a while about what the next rewatch should be. There's so many rich memories to choose from with films that have come along the way. But given that our first movie was starring the very powerful mullet of Patrick Swayze. It seemed only fitting that we made a slightly lateral move to another powerful mullet, courtesy of Kurt Russell. And today we are going to be talking about John Carpenter's, uh, by Carpenter's own description, incidentally, his action-adventure-comedy-kung-fu-ghost-story-monster movie, which is the classic... Big Trouble in Little China. Now, for those of you that don't know the story, this was Carpenter's 11th movie, which was released in 1986. Kurt Russell plays Jack Burton, a trucker who helps his friend Wang Chi rescue his green-eyed fiancée Mao Yin from bandits in San Francisco's Chinatown. And they end up getting caught up in the mysterious and magical underworld beneath Chinatown, where they face an ancient sorcerer named David Lopan who requires a woman with green eyes to marry him in order to release him from a centuries-old curse. Now, as I read that synopsis back to myself, this is potentially one of the most batshit movies that I was ever introduced to as a, as a kid. And when I say a kid, I literally mean I was probably about eight, maybe nine when I first watched this, I think like my dad came across it in the early 90s on TV or what have you, and he just went, oh, this is great, and then recorded it and just thought, yeah, I'll show this to Gareth. I just, I'm just, not entirely sure if I could get away with showing this to Wyatt being eight years old. I'm not sure, but it's phenomenal. And yeah, that's like that's my story, and it's always stuck with me since. Uh, we'll get into it a bit more in a little while. But gentlemen, what are your memories of the film? Like, Had you come across this before? Luke, I know that you'd, you'd graciously purchased this. On, uh, on DVD for, specifically for the episode? Yes. Um, basically, I remember we were we were working together. You, we were talking about, obviously, usual geek chat, and you were like going, have I ever seen this film? And I was like, well, no, not, not even even heard of it. So That's right. Obviously, I went and watched it. I was, at that time, it was on Netflix, so it was like, oh, I'll give it a watch. At that time, I was like, what the fuck am I watching here? However, I can see why it's become that sort of cult classic now. And I, I did enjoy it, but obviously, yeah. So this is so basically the watch for this one was my second time of ever watching it. Again, I was just like noticing some bits going, oh my God. <laughs> so, wow. uh, yes. 
I mean, Damien, this has been quite the staple in our relationship for a very long time. I think this was again. This was probably this was probably like on the run into to secondary school that we probably started watching this together. This was probably like early like, like early mid teens. I yeah, think. Oh god, yeah, yeah. And I remember when I got the DVD and came round. Here it is, and we we devoured the bonus features as we do. It's one of those films I absolutely adore. It Kurt Russell and John Carpenter can do no wrong. Certainly in this period at this period of time. Of course, yeah, yeah, of course. It's just one of those films that deserve to. As we'll get into, it deserved to have done better. Agreed, agreed. Ollie, I know, like, like we've 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 talked about the film a few times ourselves, and I know that obviously this is actually yes. a good time for us to be watching it because it is quite a monster movie, and obviously Halloween is just around the corner as well. Oh yeah, for sure. This is definitely a, a film that gets broken out around the Halloween period, definitely. <laughs> but I will say it's probably my fourth watch this year already. Oh, this year? I thought you were going to say ever then. I thought, dang, really? No, this has um, been a firm favourite of mine for a very long time. I mean, I probably first watched it probably on a TV release. So it was a PG version with the minimal swearing cut out and some of the kung fu scenes deleted. Mm. But yeah, firm favourite for a very long time. I am a, a big Russell fan and off the back of this film, a big John Carpenter fan. Films and music yes yeah absolutely okay let's begin so obviously the film starts i think this might have for me one of the most intriguing cold opens of a film to this day for me i think the whole opening scene with egg shen who is this man again for for those that haven't watched this film i really urge you to go away watch it and come back obviously press pause take a couple of hours to watch it and then come back and listen to the rest of the podcast because it's going to be spoiler city which, you know, the film's over 34 years old, so you've only yourself to blame at this point. Egg Shen is a man that's been roped in to this event that has occurred, and he's being interviewed by this lawyer who's going to defend him for all this property damage that has happened around Chinatown. And he explains all of these things that's happened, and they keep referring to this man, Jack Burton, this enigma. And the man that plays Egg Shen, I forget his name now, but he's just got this wonderful presence on screen and just regales with the reasons behind magic as well it's uh, so the, the actor's name's uh, victor wong i know him as the guy from tremors thank you <laughs> is he in tremors i haven't watched tremors for a long oh. time might have to dig that out again that's coming on 4k november oh amazing and this this opening was added at 20th century's fox request to try and make sense of what was com- what was coming wow wow i didn't realize yeah. that added at 20th century's fox request oh so it's, it's Green flame, as if the colour of the flame is, <laughs> makes any difference to what happens in Chinatown. For me, yeah, that's a very that's a very odd move because you would think like the reveal of magic would be better to not bury the lead and show it right at the start. But it is something that you know I get it it it, it gives intrigue, and for me, it's still a really good opener. I actually quite like the opening. It's it's like a I'm going to really tell a story. And just it just gives that brief moment of that magic bit at the start going, if you've never seen this one before, you're going, what the fuck? Oh, so it's like freaking shit's going to go down. It's like leading up, you only see this little thing and then it's like going, this is nothing compared to what you will see when you, when obviously when you re- then starts to go over the story. I mean, I hadn't really thought of it, like looking through it, that sort of lens. Do you think this is, this is Egg retelling the story to the lawyer? Yeah. Yes. I mean, I think that's how I always perhaps perceived it that it was you know yeah an intro soft introduction to the film but mm. yeah an introduction to like a greater story 
about magic and sorcery and witchcraft. He, Egg Chen lays it all out for you and then you're intrigued and your curiosity is spiked. Oh, that that it is. Especially when he does the the hand and the lightning. It's such a great ending to that bit where it's like, yes, that's how it starts. Always small. And then, of course, we get blessed with, and I do not use that term lightly, the amazing compositions of John Carpenter. That's just, again, so 80s. I, I, I thought about this quite a bit. There's a lot of parallels that you can see between things like Roadhouse and Big Trouble in Little China. There's quite similar themes and things like that. Yeah, the music for me is just like, it's just glorious. I bought that on vinyl. Uh, they had a special edition that was released last year, uh, which was hilarious because I then spent money getting it imported from the States. And then two months later, they were selling it on Amazon for cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> the exact same vinyl there was no difference i was so mad but it is i mean ollie you've gone to see carpenter in concert haven't you i have yeah i've always been a fan of his music ever since i mean i've seen i've seen them all assault on precinct 13 the fog the thing and it was a few years ago he started releasing albums by the title of lost themes and they are very dark gothic electro very synth heavy isn't it it's very very synth heavy and I, I i just think they're brilliant and not only is he a master of horror he is a, a master of music as well and using that music to set the tone of a scene and an entire film as well mm. yeah I, I think he's absolutely brilliant and yeah i've seen him live something special for sure it's quite funny like obviously this this music comes in and this is what introduces us first to Kurt Russell's character to Jack Burton this trucker who by his own admission is based on John Wayne and you can tell that right out of the gate I think it was very I, I think that was a character trait that was very specific and very early on that was decided because um, I was reading that this was originally supposed to be a western it was not supposed to be contemporary. It was supposed to be a Western, which then didn't make sense because it was Jack's horse that got stolen. I'm not sure I'd buy into that as much. I'm not sure it, it, it would really work. But I love the fact that you have this very typical, I suppose anti-hero is probably the best description for him at this point. He's not very likable. He's not supposed to be. You know, driving in night with sunglasses on in the rain on his CB talking crap to anyone that will listen. And I just I just remember watching this. I just, I don't understand what's happening right now. <laughs> He's just trying to keep himself from going that little bit more insane by just speaking his thoughts. Much, mind you, I suppose that's... What we're doing. Is that then Jack Burton's equivalent of a podcast like 30 years before? <laughs> Things are, <clears throat> sorry, I, was, I, I, I actually enjoyed when he first met Jack. I did, did enjoy the sort of opening and it's sort of going, what the fuck? He's just like, he's just, he's just driving thunder. He's just, just spouting whatever's coming to his head yep. down the ZV radio. And I was like, all right, <laughs> it's, it's basically straight away, interesting character you, you've interest, uh, introduced here. And it's just like, okay, it's, again, it's more intriguing. Where's this going to go? Because again, I'm still going, what the fuck? <laughs> Almost anything, everything he comes out with, how many times have we quoted that, this film to each other? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Also, you go back to this was going to be a Western, yes, and this nearly didn't happen at all because it went through so many rewrites and writers and lawsuits over who wrote what and who was going to get credit. This nearly never happened. The fact that it got made at all is staggering. It could be a podcast all of itself. It was interesting. I love the opening scene in Chinatown. It's the middle of the night. You've got that little gambling huddle. I still, to this day, don't fully understand the game that they're playing. I tried to no. look it up. I couldn't find any reference to it. 
I thought he said Bantam, which I thought was actually a, a chicken. I'm not entirely sure. Like, it's, it doesn't quite make sense to me, but it just looked a lot of fun. And I love Jack's and, and, and Wang Chi's relationship in this. Uh, I think it's a great opening for them and a really good establishment, which, of course, then the whole point, Wang loses a lot of money to Jack and he has to get him the money. And he said, OK, well, let's go. I will get you the money but I've got to go to the airport first. I have to pick up my fiance, who I've not seen in three years. Um, I will say one, one of the most funniest bits was from that the whole sort of betting scene is when Wang was like, well, he's already just lost the money and he just goes double or nothing. <laughs> yes. And I was like, I bet you I can <laughs> slice this glass bottle in half and then pulls out this machete, I think, or another type of knife. And, and It's it, a cleaver, cleaver isn't it? That's yeah, it. That's, yeah. Mine just kind of like, yeah, the cleaver. And he was just like, and I was like, I was watching this going, I really want him to do this. And then obviously fails spectacular. And then obviously it, it shows some that, that sort of comedic value a bit there. Cause you see his face going, always oh, works at home. But then you also see, <laughs> so you have that, which then sets up, oh, there's going to be some sort of comedy through this as well. Also it shows something from of Jack's character with the sort of the reflexes. He's manages to catch the bottle really quickly. So it kind of sets up more things for the character. Like that thinking this has got to be for something further down the line. Uh, yeah, exactly, Luke. He even, in his first quote, he mentions about it all being in the reflexes when he's in the cab of the lorry and you wonder what he's talking about. And then a few moments later, you have this excellent scene where these two old buddies are bantering, disputing about money, and then with phenomenal lightning reflexes, he catches this bottle flying towards his face. And you just you just know this is foreshadowing for something that's going to come on later in the film i think that's really interesting because you have to wonder like is that just because that he has spent so much time on the road as a trucker that he needs these quick reflexes to react to anything that's on the road or does jack have some ridiculously dark past that we don't know about like there's just is there just something hidden is this like brendan fraser in the mummy 2 like he has some weird deep seated secret abilities that he's not aware of yet and it's just which of course the further that we get down the road we realize no he's a complete clown <laughs> but it's just that initial reaction of what the hell just happened he says right we'll get in the truck and i'll go with you and so they're waiting for wang's fiance mao yin to come out of the airport and that's when of course we see fresh off porkies and police academy we see kim Cattrall. now i would be very remiss not to acknowledge my 12 year old self here <laughs> Just, I mean, just, just stunning in this. She's hilarious from all of those films into it. I think she's got great comic timing, even when she's playing probably one of the straightest characters of the entire film. Um, yeah, no, she does play an incredibly like straight-laced character, but it is the, as we later see down the line, the comic timing that she obviously has developed in her past career. It comes to show with Kurt Russell, and actually then later in her career, when she goes on to Mannequin. Something I found out reading the making of book, she left set at half four every day to go to perform in Chekhov's Three Sisters. So she's doing two productions at once. She's in a play while this is being filmed and she had to leave the set every day at half four to go on to do this. Absolute machine. I mean, yeah, it's. I, I mean, you can tell right from the start that you meet Gracie Law, who's the who's the character that Cottrell plays, that she's no damsel in distress in this. There's absolutely no way that is what she is there to do. There's a, a, a big mix-up. These Chinese gang comes in, and this is all in the midst of when Kurt Russell is trying to chat up King Cottrell, which is just hilarious. And they've got, like, all hell breaks loose. They, in a, in a tussle, they grab Mao Yin, and they run out of the airport, and then they chase after them. Jack and Wang almost get 
knocked over by this car as they're as they're driving away which of course brings probably the most quoted line that damien and i have certainly done over the last 20 odd years which is son, son of a, a bitch, bitch must, must pay, pay. <laughs> it's just it's just such an incredible line i don't know why i don't it just it just amused me substantially and you know any other film that little tussle in the airport it would have turned into a massive gunfight or a big fight scene and it's just a two minute throwaway yeah but off to the next bit yeah, the pace of this film, I think, is something that's really great. It doesn't really let up a lot. It doesn't like it's always a very constant thing. I've got to say, the um, you know, obviously when they the the scene when they're obviously in the um the airport, the sorry, I'm thinking of the word. My mind's gone blank. In the car park, seriously, my mind doesn't want to work today. <laughs> um, so when they're in the airport, obviously they're chasing after it, and obviously you see Gracie Lauren's friend going the other way. And she's called the cops, and the next thing you know, is like they start running off again, and then she just speds off, and they're going. I can't remember what the whatever I can't remember the line that she said, but then straight after that was then the Lords of Death in the car coming towards them, and it was such a comedic stunt. It's just like you can tell it was all sped up because they must have been going mm. so slow. But it's like the whole um, Jack Burton pulling Wang out the way was <laughs> was too far. Well. It showed it. It's like, yeah, he's got the reflexes, but it was just sort of like it was. You could tell it sped up because it was done a lot more slower. <laughs> I think I read about this scene that actually the stunt was done in reverse. Yes, I saw that. Mm. Oh, really? Because of how because of how dangerous it potentially could have been. So for the safety of all the crew and the cast, yeah, it was done in reverse. So that's why it does look a little bit disjointed, I guess. Out of all of them, it does. That's the only stunt I would say felt a bit weird. But I'm saying um, just because it felt like it was sped up or something was done differently. But going in reverse, I can kind of see that makes it obviously being safer. I think it's right because this turns into a whole big car chase, which between I think they're driving a Ferrari and and Jack's truck is. I think it's probably something like a Corvette. Something like that, yeah. Something like an American muscle car of some sort. Ah, okay. And then, yeah, you've got this big car chase between the two and it goes down this alleyway in Chinatown. Oh, sorry, I'm actually getting ahead of myself. We see that Jack almost runs into Egg Shen's tourist truck. That's the little <laughs> bridging the gap between the two when you realise, oh, this is, oh, that's an interesting little link. He was defending him just now. How's this going to happen? So they really do drip feed a lot of stuff as they go. And I did enjoy the fact, I don't know if this is scripted or if this just happened accidentally because trying to get a truck that big down an alleyway that small is just fucking ludicrous when they drive past they hit a sign there's a metal sign that's mounted to the wall and you just hear a ding i just there's no way that was accidental they just misjudged the size completely power of the pork chop express (laughs) (laughs) as i've actually been to chinatown in san francisco it is that is actually the road they drive down um obviously now modern times it's way more busier and stuff's in the streets but that that whole scene was actually filmed in chinatown and it is actually that now the road the alleyway is the alleyway is actually it's gonna be a set i don't mean it's not even real but i mean like the whole road it is only a single file road so that road leading down is actually chinatown i thought it's actually quite nice they're actually using the location Hmm. of it um obviously then the handbrake turn (laughs) they were in (laughs) <laughs> in the truck they still obviously when they pull off off that main street then they're obviously on a set but i quite like the whole idea it's narrow but because he, he was going what what alleyway and then you just turn and he's like oh there's one <laughs> so obviously the whole small small alleyway you can kind of see um, why they're going to hit the signs nice touch though interesting this is obviously we get our first little glimpse to the cinematic legend that is 
James Hong. Now, for younger listeners, James Hong is known as playing Poe's dad in Kung Fu Panda movies. But James Hong is known for... He is so much... I mean, for, I, I think for us, I think probably one of the most recognisable, apart from this film, is as Cassandra's father in Wayne's World 2, I would say. Yes. Mm. I think that's a big one. But to give this man credit, and I do think he is an absolute legend to this day and i say to this day because he is 91 years old with 440 acting credits of various descriptions be it voiceover work or on camera or whatnot to this day there is stuff in post-production at the moment that he is starring in at 91 i have one regret growing up and that is because i used to go to uh, memorabilia the birmingham nec now it's known as the mcm comic con but it used to be memorabilia and so they would have panels and people that you could get, uh, people were there for autographs and whatnot, and there was one year that James Hong was there, and the line was ridiculous. And so I just thought, I'll, I'll try and go back later. If not, hopefully he'll be there again. That was over 20 years ago. He has never been back since. I'm not sure if he's a flight risk now at his age. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. But I always regretted that. And yeah, he's, this is one of my all-time favourite films of his, and he's just so funny in this, in anything that he does. His timing is just absolutely flawless. But I love that like, you get this little glimpse of just this, this old man with this beard. You don't quite know what he's there for. He's just watching all these events unfold. And then you see this big fight between these two tongs, between these two Chinese gangs in the alleyway. Before we get to that fight, though, when the funeral procession's coming down, it's like an old western. The street's clear. Bump, so, that, so some of the influence is still there, I feel. Yes, yeah. Because the funeral is for... Like the, like the Chinese gang that is that is regarded as the good guys. And then you have the bad guys turn up, who, again, very big influences from Westerns when they're kind of like bandoliers and six shooters and whatnot as well. It's funny because like even on that side, there's quite a few familiar faces, sort of ones that like you would recognise, but you, you wouldn't immediately know. You would have to look up, as I did. I mean, we've got Al Leong, who plays Genghis Khan in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. And let's not forget Hollywood rent-a-villain and stuntman Jeff Amada, who was in everything throughout the 80s and early 90s gerald okamura is in this as well mm. and he pl- and he's he's done a ton of stuff between like mortal Kombat and blade mm. he's even hot shots part de i believe as well <laughs> <laughs> so it's all of these all of these little faces that you see here and there this is really funny the gang is having a standoff that escalates very quickly and i think and you're right ollie earlier on when you were saying that you know when we're younger watching like televised ones where it's slightly edited I think even I had the Blu-ray from uh, my daughter a little while ago, and I was watching that. I think I think there was even stuff in that that was not on the DVD, like slightly, like maybe like a little bit more violence that I hadn't seen before. Yeah, I believe there genuinely was a PG version of the film released, so it did have, let's say, the fatalities removed <laughs> from it, because the VHS, but <laughs> yeah. The VHS version I had, which was recorded off of HTV back in the day, definitely wasn't as long and as graphic as I then later see it on DVD. Mm. It's interesting you say about fatalities, because of course the next thing that queues up in this is that we have the introduction to the three storms, which I believe are thunder, rain and lightning. Correct. Which Carpenter used from inspiration of Chinese mythology, which of course a few years later, would actually then be one of the inspirations for Mortal Kombat, for Raiden. Just going to skip back just before the um, the three three storms turn up. 
it was just before the whole fight kicked off. I just, it's just you say they they walk up, they win the bandoliers, but then it's just the, all the automatic guns come out, and then it's just literally just rinsing like just like, <laughs> these, these these guys are just shooting off, shooting out, just completely wiping out a lot of these um sort of the, the good guys as you call them, and uh, it was just kind of like oh yeah, you say escalate fast. Damn right it did. Like they're unarmed, and then you're just shooting. A, you just literally just mowed down about six or seven of them in one go. And it's not like, oh. and then obviously kicks off as like, oh, bullets are gone. Let's go the old-fashioned way and fist fights and knives and stuff. There's some great fight scenes in this film. Choreography is excellent. I was waiting for that, and then the guns just come out, and I'm like, oh, I was waiting for a, a fight scene, and that's what I was a bit, a bit like, oh, okay, or right, it's modern guns. Let's go for it. But it was just kind of like. There's no it just just mowed them down and then it's like okay then there's a big fight with Mortal Kombat he's about to appear in all his glory but Lo Pan was the inspiration behind Shang Tsung originally ah uh, that makes sense yeah yeah the original yeah and also why it probably was a gunfight we'll probably get into later is the budget for this film what money was allocated here and there oh yes yeah so this thing with Lo Pan when you first get introduced to him as this seven foot tall like st- like straight out of a tapestry chinese god and it scared me when i was a kid properly scared me i think and, and especially when you've got the moment where jack kind of looks at him for the first time after he's run him over like wang knows who he is and he starts panicking just says oh my god we gotta get out of here and he he goes to see if he's okay he goes to see like what like what's going on and he gets out of the car and it's the, 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 just the eyes lighting up and shooting out at him and it just terrified me when i was little and then of course you've got for me like the first tongue-in-cheek moment of the entire film other than kurt russell trying to chat up kim cattrall at the <laughs> at the airport the main tongue-in-cheek moment comes where it's where wang's just yelling at him just saying it's like don't look jack and he goes i already did he goes don't look goes, all right i won't uh, one thing i'll say just before he runs him over he's like going he's gonna get out of the way he's gonna get out of the way and then just yeah, that's when he just like, he drives over him and i just thought like because you can see in, in jack's face he's like he didn't get out the way hence he's got out to make sure the guy's all right and then you just see him stood there and he's like what but then you've got like they they run off and then of course we see the infamous vest of kurt russell's which is everywhere mm-hmm. to this day now and i think like it's very funny a I, I, um podcast i listened to called fake doctors and real friends with zach braff and donald Faison. And Zach Braff talked about a day when he was at a Halloween party that Kate Hudson had put on. And of course, Kate Hudson being the progeny of Kurt Russell and Goldie Horn. And so Kurt Russell was there and Zach Braff just went, well, I want to do a costume that isn't going to offend him too much or anything like that. I want to show that I'm a fan and things like that. So he went as Jack Burton with the vest and the hair. <laughs> I just love that, again, like 30 odd years on, this is still a film that people remember and love for the most part and i think that shows with 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 stuff like that not necessarily to impress kurt russell but i think it's something that everyone will always recognize and people will always recognize that shirt and it kind of also turns into a bit of a trait within the film that kurt russell just ends up losing items of clothing to expose (laughs) his arms throughout the film he loses his jacket while crawling through a tunnel that doesn't need to happen Do you think this is off the back of like Die Hard or something like that? Possibly. But again, it does happen later in the film. He just like all of a sudden <laughs> loses clothing to expose himself <laughs> in this vest. <laughs> well, it's like we talked, you know, we, 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 we talked about this in the last episode with Roadhouse, where of course there are moments where Swayze is just glistening and, and, and shirtless. And just because I don't think the scene needed that, but okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. 
I love that during this whole time, Wang's freaking out back at his restaurant and he's trying to work out like what to do while Jack is on the phone to his insurers. There's this all of this crazy magic stuff going on and he's trying to explain to the insurers that his truck has been stolen and he can't tell them anything else. It's that line of like, I don't want to hear some act of God shit or, or something like that along those lines. <laughs> But that is it. It's those throwaway lines throughout the entire film which make this film absolutely priceless. And let's not forget, he is in a blue kimono for the rest of this scene. And for everything that follows <laughs> that he doesn't follow it, he's in a blue kimono. <laughs> not very many action stars could pull this off. <laughs> well, this is it. Like, look, like, to be fair, it doesn't look bad on him. That's yeah. the really frustrating thing. If I wore that, I'd look like a complete tool. But on Kurt Russell, for some reason, it works. Uh, and then, of course, we see Kim Cattrall come back in. We see Gracie Law come in, the full introduction, a uh, lawyer in the area. I just love it sums up perfectly the film for me. Uh, she and Jack have an exchange where he turns around and says, sorry, I'm starting to feel like a little bit like an outsider. And she just goes, you are. That, for me, is the whole purpose of the film. It, 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 it sums it up perfectly. He has no comprehension of any of this. He doesn't know the town properly. He might breeze in every now and again, but like the full idea of the culture and the background of anything that's actually happened, he has no idea about. He's just thrown into this whirlwind of stuff. And that's kind of where, again, I mentioned earlier about sort of there are vague parallels between things like Roadhouse and, and, um, and Big Trouble in Little China. They're very formulaic parallels, but it's things like where the the hero or the anti-hero is thrown into a situation that they can't control or they don't understand and then they have to get through it. Well, this is where you can see that the the Western story that perhaps it originally was with this stranger walking into town and being used to clean it up. Mm. I mean, as, as you say, it does, it translates into Roadhouse also, the stranger, strange town, cleans it up yeah the stranger didn't have to however put on a very very weird suit <laughs> and glasses doing their best clark kent impression into a brothel to try and buy back his friend's fiance photo austin powers <laughs> uh, which, which which again let's be honest he's wearing the suit and the idea is for him to look really stupid and just really just mundane and things like that but it's bottom line it's still kurt russell in the 80s in a suit that's there is not like you that's all you will see you're not going to say it's like who's this noob it's just <laughs> he looks he still looks way too cool yeah no that you're saying that so that's actually the same costume that he wore for used cars in 1980 they dug it out and it for him to reuse oh but yeah it, it reminds me more of austin powers than clark kent it's like proto austin powers <laughs> They did. So they got the suit back out to punish him? Oh, no idea, confused. it's just the same suit he wore in used cars that was filmed in 1980. <laughs> I love the, um, the, the exchange between him and the madam where he starts breaking up because, because Mao Yin has green eyes, which the Lords of Death, the gang, had sold Wang's fiance to this brothel and then they're going to sell her on to, to someone else. And the idea is that because she's got green eyes, she is more... Uh, more expensive because Chinese girls do not come with green eyes. The amusing thing about this is that neither did the actress that played Mao Yin because she was actually, because her eyes are actually brown. I believe um, 
I think Susie Pye, yes, her yeah. name is, and she has brown eyes, and so had to wear coloured lenses for this. So that's how rare it was. They could not find a Chinese actress fitting the bill who had green eyes. So they had to put contact lenses on Susie Pye. As did Kim Cattrall, brown eyes as, as well. As did Kim Cattrall, because <laughs> she's got brown eyes uh, originally, but she has to have green eyes in this for reasons that we will get into later. Uh, the physical effects for when the white tiger is being ripped apart by the storms, because the storms are going after... The storms are going after Mao Yin because she has green eyes, which is so rare. And they that's who... I think that's actually who they might be selling her to. I think they may have been... I think they may have been selling her to the Low Pan Exchange anyway. But then the storms came in to steal her before any payment took place. Is what I've always kind of read into that. Um, but the physical effects of when they just rip the building apart was really great uh and then that's when you see they just they just beat jack within an inch of his life with like a single kick and just kick him <laughs> just kick him across the building he actually had flu while doing that brothel scene cut russell so afterwards all the sweat and thing, that's genuine because he was ill <laughs> filming that scene god you couldn't get you couldn't get away with that at the moment <laughs> no, could you put you no, in a glass case and during this scene, we do actually get to see some like very like attractive um, cinematography take place as well. Mm. We have we, we start to see um, a few like John Carpenter and his cinematographers. Um, is it Dan Cuddy or Cuddly? Dean something, Dean Cundy or something. I think it is something like that. They yeah. they've worked together over quite a few films, and you do get to see some of these fantastic like long view perspective shots. We get instances of it during the alley scene, and then in this scene with the um, let's say the approaching storm down the corridor towards Jack. I, I think it's it's a very underrated and it's possibly overlooked sometimes. Mm. like the cinematography that is in this film and in a lot of John Carpenter films. I think it's really nice, like that scene and the effects that they have in that because it's very, it's almost a very Ghostbusters style scene with the, um, you've got the, the, the green flames yes, on the top do. of the building. And I missed out introductions of a couple of characters actually, because we've been introduced to the Mater D of Wang's restaurant called eddie and it's almost a very almost in a very dan Aykroyd style response where they see the flames and just goes wow and they have to run in and go and try and get jack out of trouble interesting you bring ghostbusters up there's a couple one will come up later but the effects company that did the effects for this did ghostbusters as well oh is that right and they had five million for ghostbusters the effects budget and the budget for this was a million for effects yeah but so yeah so i'm considering what they did with it i think it's most of it still stands up because it's physical practical effects oh god yeah the yeah the the practical effects in this film are like for me still hold up i think they're phenomenal yeah we do have one more ghostbusters connection a bit later on ah yes i know yeah 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 yeah. i thought you may (laughs) yeah and of course we have the introduction of Margot as well, who's the journalist that Gracie is working with to try and expose like the Lopan Corporation, because he's also sort of tied in to everything. And then of course with it, they <laughs> back at Gracie's apartment, Jack has possibly 
one of the cheesiest lines of the entire film that is genuinely saying something where he says about something like if we're not back in 24 hours call the president <laughs> and that's when you start realizing that oh, okay this is the speed that the film is going for like before you could you could imagine they could to try and imagine this film as a very straight supernatural movie i think it could also work but i think to have it like this this very tongue-in-cheek elements to it i think you need that i think it's 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 quite refreshing certainly for films at the time not many i think really really worked like that and so they decide that the only way that they're going to do it the only way they're going to get mao yin back is wang's going to go completely solo and he's going to bust into the exchange and he's going to he's going to get his fiance back yeah so yeah, that's the that's the next scene. But what I do I do like is that it's it's been introduced a couple of times in um, Jack Burton's character that actually he will just go out of his way to help people with very mm. little questioning or asking. I mean, they're about to get run over by a car in the car park. He jumps. It's going to sound awful. He, he jumps on Wang to get him out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> and then in Gracie's apartment, there's, there's no, there's very little conversation required between him and Wang. Yeah. Jack is just, yep, I am stepping up. I don't understand what's going on at all. I'm out of my depth, but you're my buddy. I'm going to help you. Yeah, he I'm... says my mind and my spirit are as one. He says as two. I said I was coming. Yeah, which I think is 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 really nice because, like you said, he doesn't. I think he's very subconsciously selfless. I think he does paint himself as this as he's he's been this loner for a very long time. I think he enjoys the open road. He just likes to be on his own. But I think deep down, I think he, without even realizing it, he does like to to help people where he can. Two things. First of all, mate, that's got to be the tagline for this show. Is... Jack jumps on Wang. <laughs> but also, no, it's interesting, his journey, he's sort of a bit like Bill Murray's Benkman in Ghostbusters, Harrison Ford's Han Solo, and even Russell's Pliskin. And he's slowly, they're all cynical, cyn- and they slowly, slowly start to believe. And then he's morphed into Indiana Jones almost, an inept Indiana Jones towards the end of this film. It's more, it's more. It's more. Indiana Jones meets Inspector Clouseau, yeah, really, yeah. isn't it? It's... <laughs> Before they go away, there is this excellent. There's probably more exposition in these two exchanges between Wang and Gracie than there is in the entire film, and it's just the way they describe. I can't even riff off what they say. It's it. It's just something. I think Margot kicks in as well at one point. Where they just have like they just don't take a breath and they riff off like two sentences of information each about Lopan and about the about the Wing Kong exchange and about and how nobody's ever seen him in years and they do this and they do that and all this and they're the most powerful person in Chinatown and you can't get to him and you're like nobody talks like this this is <laughs> so then Jack and Wang get ready. And they're going to break into the Wing Kong exchange. And the only way that they do this, again, it's all tongue-in-cheek from this way in because they do it by posing as, like, phone repairmen. And they're psyching themselves up so much. And you go, it's like, right, as one mind, Jack, let's do this. Yeah. And then they're just breezing through. As I said, it's so bad how crap that security is that they just let them go in. 
And also, just as they're outside the exchange, it's possibly the first time I've ever heard it on TV or film, was the line, are you ready? And Jack is, I was born ready. Yes. <laughs> that probably must be the first instance of that. And then subsequently, it's been quoted in everything we love ever since. I just like the whole scene when they bust into the, sort of the exchanges. He's just holding the, the, the old-fashioned sort of dial-up um, um, the telephone. And he's just telephone. like, like walking in, like, yeah, we're here to fix the telephone. And like, you're just carrying a telephone and that's it. <laughs> Sorry, hang on a minute. Can we just dial back a sec that it took you that long Seriously. to remember the word telephone? <laughs> I had a nip and get a delivery, and I ran downstairs. I'm out of breath. Downstairs <laughs> killed me. And of course, they they're being tortured by rain, actually, and they're trying to work out like why they're there. And so, like Wang's just half unconscious in a wheelchair. He's beating Jack up. There's the there's the weird scene where he just just blows a rubber ball at breakneck speed into his chest and. Again, a very John Wayne moment where he stands up after all that beating, just go, come on, come over here and fight like a man. Which is when the rubber ball comes out. <laughs> and then <laughs> Rain has this wonderful L'Oreal moment where he's, when Jack's on the floor, he just takes off his hat and just swirls that huge ponytail back, which I was reading. Apparently the actor that played Rain like really enjoyed doing that because he'd never had long hair like that before, and he was wearing a wig that was about three grand. It was a $3,000 wig that was purchased for that specifically for that character, and I just thought it was completely insane. Well, there's just a, a moment in between the um, elevator scene and the, the torture scene where they briefly escape into a water tank, which is filled with corpses. Yes, the, the the hell of the upside down sinners. I yeah, believe that is. which is really interesting because you've got to remember this is a, a John Carpenter film who became famous for Halloween and The Thing for making horror horror movies. So it's the first time in the film that you get to see a little bit of his past and you know what potentially you could see in the rest of the movie. Yeah. It's a bit of a sharp contrast from that very slapstick moment with the telephone mm. in the previous scene to this one. It, it does it kind of like, oh, you kind of get the impression that things are going to get very dark and serious at any moment now. Yeah, well, there's the, there's the, I think, again, you've got the tongue in cheek and the comedy element. There's always a very nice balance in this film with that because it never seems too overkill, even when things are getting quite scary or quite. Um, a lot more action based like there's the there's the exchange just before they get in the lift where um, Jack's pointing to the Chinese on the wall he said what does it say he says hell of boiling oil he said you're kidding he said yes I am it says keep out <laughs> for John Carpenter to make this film I think one thing that, that for me was quite interesting and I try and as far as the podcast is concerned I do try and steer away from any kind of like political elements bias and whatnot i think but what's quite interesting in this is that for a film particularly for a film that was made in 1986 is a predominantly asian cast as well and i think it's something that need that that he's highlighting is that like there weren't a lot of films that were being made at the time that were really doing that either in mainstream hollywood i don't think at least no not at all and, and also actually jack 
may be the main character, but he does come off as a little bit of a sidekick, mm. as a buddy, yes. as a buddy cop to Wang. Oh, completely. There is a moment, and Day, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that Carpenter actually talks about this in the commentary. I think there's a moment where um, they received a review. Spoiler alert for when this film actually came out. It was not particularly well received by critics. Fans loved Mm. it. Critics absolutely panned it. To the extent that at one point they were saying that Russell's performance comes off more like a sidekick than it does of the hero. And on the commentary, Carpenter is just there saying, that was the point. Yeah, no, it's the point. That was the whole reason why we did this. Why would this white American guy have any sway or pull in this environment that he has no experience or ideal of? And so really the hero of this is Wang. And you can see that throughout the entire film, like towards the end, like towards the end of the film and the, and the, and the, the final standoffs and the fights that happen. He's the one that's doing all the all the legwork. He's the one that's doing all the all the heavy lifting. Yeah, indeed. Well, if, if they hadn't nicked his truck and Wang gave him the money, he wouldn't have been there. He no. would not have been present for any of this. So he'd have been gone. And it shows like how much Wang is is going to get involved with this because, of course, after the, the whole interrogation scene, the idea then is that they get taken in to the room and they meet the man himself. They meet David <laughs> Lopan. And, of course, they've seen Lopan as this, this just this tall... Like demigod and what they get is this very frail old man in a wheelchair um fun fact for you guys about this when i was a kid and i watched this i had no comprehension that james hong played all three versions of lopan didn't know that he was the old guy at the beginning didn't uh, realize that like he like he he played uh one of them at least but didn't realize that he played all three versions that you see on camera i thought it was three different people and then, of course, you know, I start getting into double figures in my ages and then realizing about stage makeup and things like that. But I didn't realize that James Hong played all three. Again, going back to the Burton not really knowing, like having no clue with this sort of environment and the, and, the, and the history and the mythology behind everything in any kind of level of respect, actually, I don't think, that he just personifies for me a great deal of kind of like Western ignorance of that sort of sort of asian culture for the time as well because he just he does nothing but poke and prod lopan the entire time and i know it's that like like the idea is like is the the tough guy mentality uh you know you're not going to get to me but you've got like the whole that you've got the whole exchange with them which of course day is going to know exactly the the bit that i'm going to talk about now but you have the uh, i've got got it written here like lopan yeah like lopan has no pretense at this point he literally tells them his plan. They know that he's got Mao Yin. They've seen him in his, I suppose, true form. Mm. The idea is, is that like he can't, when he's as that powerful sorcerer, he can't touch anything. He's he's non-corporeal. He was cursed by he was the first sovereign emperor. Jingdai is going to uh, give him his body back, but he has to find a woman with green eyes who is strong enough, and then he has to sacrifice her to Jingdai, and that's when he'll get his body back. And then, like, but but get his body back as the sorcerer. And there's just this wonderful exchange where like, Lopan's just saying, and then Jingdai will be happy and my curse will be lifted. And Burton goes and rule off and, and go off and rule the universe from beyond the grave. Indeed! <laughs> Indeed, which is, again, just another 
another such quotable word. It's just the reaction that he has, or, or check into a psycho ward, whichever comes first. Hmm? But yeah, yeah, that's it. yeah, the whole thing about indeed has always just made me chuckle. It never fails to make me laugh. There's actually a deleted scene. I don't know if it was in the DVD or if it was just one that we came across before day. So it was in. Interestingly enough, it's not in the Blu-ray. It's DVD. It's, it's on not, the DVD it, with the TV. It's not in our. It, it's not in the Arrow release mm. Blu-ray. It's, it's the TV thing. Then yeah, it's the DVD. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a there's a there's a scene where because during this obviously like Lopan sees that like Gracie and Margot and Eddie have turned up because they're going to try and get in and infiltrate it a different way and try and find uh, Wang. And Jack, because they think they've gotten in trouble. But the um, in the film, Lopan just sees it and just goes, oh, "This pisses me off no end," and storms <laughs> off to go and deal with this problem. There is a deleted scene that never made the cut, and I'm not I'm not going to do the accent. <laughs> Lee would kill me. But the the scene again. He's he's telling the story, and he's talking about Mao Yin. And he's looking at the security screen, and then out of nowhere, just kind of say, oh, it's Japanese. And they go, what, the girl? He goes, no, it's stupid TV. <laughs> and then it all kicks off. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it's just that you have to wonder how many tongue-in-cheek bits they could actually throw into this film, but I just never get sick of it. Dennis Dunn, who plays Wang, she in this, I think is very underrated. I think he doesn't get as much credit for this film as he should. Uh, considering the fact that he almost wasn't cast as Wang. Yeah, interesting. I know. I think I know where you're going to go with this, that they actually wanted um, Jackie Chan mm. yep. to be cast, but due to, I think it was down to his dialect, simply, he didn't get the role. He wasn't as established at the time, and uh, I think some of the producers weren't too keen on him because uh, I think he was a bit... Green Guild at the time. I think he was a bit wet behind the ears, so they weren't entirely sure that he would be um, up to scratch for the role, um, which a similar thing actually happened with Kurt Russell for the role, because originally the studio wanted either, I think it was either Jack Nicholson or Clint Eastwood, yeah, which to correct. me is batshit. It's absolutely bonkers. I could not imagine either one of them playing that role i think if they're going to be doing it in the sense of if they were doing it as a western as in period western sure bring in eastwood but ultimately i think the tone that they went for here i don't think either of them could have pulled off that part for the time that it was made i also read that um jeff bridges was up for the role as well because carpenter had just worked with him on starman starman mm. of course which yeah is, is another great film i also do really adore but again, he would have been a very, very different tone of actor because he wasn't known for being an action hero at the time. Mm. So, so, yeah, I think Dennis Dunn was the perfect choice for this to play Wang Chi. I think there's like particularly where he has this this interaction with Jack after they've spoken with Lopan, they go back to their cell and Wang tries to explain to Jack the fact that like, like it's all real. Like, all of this is completely real. In China, we get told this when we're younger, and then we grow up, and then we try not to believe it anymore. But it is all there. And so now we have to do something. And so, and so it's, yeah, it's, I, I think it's just, it's, I'm, I'm paraphrasing horrifically, but it's just, it's a really nice delivery. I think he's very good. And I haven't seen him do a lot more, really, which I think is a, a, a real great shame. And then, of course, we've got, they break out, 
they break out of the cell and you see the the incredible stunt of of Kurt Russell in the wheelchair going back down the slope which has always amused me because like when he crashes in and then he has to he he's he's flexing to bring the wheelchair back up and then you just there and I was watching this now and just uh, again this is just an excuse for a vest wearing Kurt Russell to flex his muscles in a wheelchair I'm pretty sure, and it's just the way he kind of like times it to kind of like jump out of the wheelchair. I said, I'm pretty sure you could have just gotten out of that. It would have been absolutely fine. <laughs> that, that set as well, talking about the practical effects, false perspective, it's all straight. And they just tilt the camera and it was the wheelchair yeah. was on tracks as well. So today they've done that digitally. And... I love it because you can see that track. Yeah, it's quite yeah. funny. You can just see that massive black line going yeah, down the path. It's in the making of, but there's a high def photo. And you, yeah, but it, like I said, there's nothing beats practical as far as I'm concerned with effects. No matter how good oh, yeah. they get today. And then they <laughs> see they've they've got Eddie with them now because Gracie, Eddie and Margot got knocked out by Thunder and then they've all been separated. Margot and Gracie have been put in put in cells. Gracie's been hogtied for some reason. I can only presume it's because she wouldn't shut the fuck up. <laughs> Not the same thing. I bet you them she's one of them causing yeah. Good lord. <laughs> Uh, then of course you've got like, like it, it, in between this, like you've got Lopan returning to his non-corporeal form, and he's talking to he 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 goes into the place where where Mao Yin is being kept in some sort of stasis. And I didn't think about this for a very long time when I was watching it. It was quite interesting. I thought you could do this in a sense that it's almost quite a tragic story for Lopan. You know, all of the psychotic elements aside of that character i think like that's I, I think that's the the one time maybe once during the during the conversation between him uh jack and and, and wang chi about the struggles that he has had but i think maybe i think that's probably like the only scene where he shows real weakness that he really wants this to work and i think you don't get that with a lot of with a lot of bad guys on screen and i think particularly another like lee mentioned about um uh, Brad Wesley in Roadhouse, he wanted more exposition. I think we got a lot more exposition with a character like this. And yeah, I think stuff like that does get overlooked sometimes. You, you feel that. I, I think I'm perhaps a little bit different in my feeling for that scene. I, I feel as if he's now willing to, to do anything to get what he wants and sacrifice anyone. And he's willing to now sacrifice two people to get what he wants. It just it, to me, it makes him, I suppose, slightly darker. He doesn't character. know about Gracie at this point yet. He doesn't know about Gracie's eyes. He meets her in that room. That's not later. Yeah, it's that's later, later in on the film. That's the second this time, time he just turns room. up, and he, he kind of. Oh, okay. do, I think it's meant to make you feel a bit for him. You, you kind of get a bit for him, but then like, uh, yeah. it is kind of like he will do anything for this. Yeah, he hasn't met Gracie yet, but it's just kind of like it's the first time he's probably in the same room as with Malian, and he can't actually. I, the good thing is he can't even touch her as well because he's in, he's in the so you see it's like mm. he wants to just like touch her but he can't and it's kind of like well because he needs her to is it fall in love with him or something like that but I know he's, she's kind of they're all kind of mind controlled as well so but yeah so the guys have the guys have tooled up at this point and they're going to go and try and break the girls out so they've got like pistols and shotguns and and semi-automatic pistols and just all all sorts and then Wang gets into a fight with the security guard and it's going to it's going to go down like he's definitely going to kill him and then Jack shoots him and there's just this really weird moment that I never picked up on before when Eddie 
turns around to him after Jack has shot this guy. He's got this very blank expression on his face. And Eddie turns around and goes, oh, this is the first time you've ever plugged someone? And I literally paused and said, wait, has Eddie killed a man before? He's more than a meat like, because there's a well, there's a moment in the in the restaurant where where Wang Chi just goes, "Oh, this is Eddie. He's the meat of the we- of the restaurant," and Eddie just goes, "And a whole lot more." I thought, "Have you killed a man?" Like he seems very relaxed about the entire thing. <laughs> then of course you've got the bit where Jack's kind of scaling the cages and he's trying to track down the girls. While this is going on, Wang has got a shotgun to Eddie's head yelling at security to open up and again i had this moment of why are security going to care if some random gets his head blown off in an area that is so shady they know they shouldn't be there i think they were just trying to like make him look like uh one of the sort of the bad guys and he's like oh just just or just just it was maybe just even a distraction i think that's just a distraction really because he's underneath um this sort of bridge climb like crawling along um and then, yeah, I feel it's distracting. Obviously, and brings out the security guards, which be which uh, turn turn out to be women. <laughs> and obviously, levels the gun at them, mm. and then she, they decided to just kick kick the weapons out of the hands, which I thought was a brilliant move straight away. <laughs> there was, yeah, uh, this is also the first time that we see Wang Chi fight properly, and we also then get to see that Eddie Eddie's got some moves too. He's like he can definitely fight. Then, of course, they get the girls out break out they take everyone they don't just take gracie and 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 margot like they break out everyone and this might be one of my favorite moments of the entire film where (laughs) you've got you've got jack about to open this door and he says right okay from here on out it's just it's just the usual kind of organized crime front you know maybe a receptionist couple of security guards stuff like that ready one two three opens the door and there's like 50 men behind the door closes it and you go we might be trapped <laughs> and it's just it's everything it's russell's timing it's the gong sound effect that they throw in as well and i just just all of that is just it's so funny but then you also have a moment where he's telling everyone to hide wang turns around and says everyone hide in chinese to the girls behind him and then he turns around to jack and says exactly the same thing to him <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to know what you're saying. <laughs> and of course, when they get out, there was one thing that went through my mind because then when they start going through the reception, when they start breaking out of the building to escape, you start seeing those eyes get taken out of the statue. And then you see those red eyes come through. And the thing is that, again, we're, we're, we're getting into the realms of like like how good these practical effects really were. Like as a proper monster that they've created, like this big suit that someone's wearing. But I always thought like the... His snout was like way too long. I wondered like how he actually got, <laughs> how he actually got his eyes through that mask I just want to go so well. Back to the previous scene when when obviously they're all gone, all going to hide, and it's just um, Jack and uh, Wang stood there. Uh, when they start fighting, obviously Jack's got a gun, and I want to say he shoots like tries to shoot, and it's jammed, and he jumps out the um, he jumps out the way, and then comes back, and then realizes to fight with a gun, and then turns out that Wang yes. just took them all out anyway. <laughs> It's just that very smug look and go, time to go. Yeah, no, that bit's that's brilliant, that bit. Yeah, the gun jams, so he like he then fumbles around for his knife in his boots. <laughs> but through all yes. of his like his showmanship and his bravado, he manages to fling it out of scene. And then as he disappears, yeah, Wang just annihilates like twenty ninjas 
by himself and then in pure slapstick moment jumps back into the scene and you just see this like bed of bodies <laughs> and, and wang's just like where have you been <laughs> it's a great again it boils down to the fact burton is not the hero in this he is the sidekick he is the comic relief yeah he just bumbles his way through and you know despite all of his like bravado and he is a he is a hero that never quite hits the mark he just he's always he's always that little like moment away from succeeding and ruining it for himself which is like an endearing part of his character Mm. i think obviously that the tragic thing that we get into with this is that they have to break out of the building they have to run away but they haven't got Mao Yin. They've completely failed. This is their this is their this is their second act failure. This is for them to then rise up and and, and step to the challenge. Then, Egg Shen, who has been working with Wang Chi's uncle, knows what's going on, so he's there to help, and so he's there waiting with his bus. And he's got that Jack almost ran off the road mm. earlier in the film, and he's going to help them escape because it's his it's his duty to. He's been aimed to fight Lo Pan for years. And he's supposed to be the one to take him out. He's really the only one in in Chinatown that has the know-how, that has the expertise as a sorcerer to handle him. And so now he's got people that are good enough to, to help. Well, I use the term good enough really, <laughs> really loosely. <laughs> but people that are stupid enough to help him try and take out this superpower. And so they have to... So they're all getting ready to fight Lopan. And I couldn't help but wonder where Wang Chi got a flight suit from (laughs) i don't understand that like he like i get going back to the restaurant and laying low there but is there something about wang chi that we don't know i don't because he didn't get that flight suit from egg (laughs) so i don't know i don't know how that fits in of course egg chain comes in with the the with the chan sings and they're going to help they're going to be the soldiers that help them in the in the final battle Dialing back a minute, I actually almost completely forgot about the fact that we had the first interaction with with Gracie and Jack where they kissed. Mm. Or rather, Jack kissed Gracie because he's just so thankful to be alive. (laughs) So many times in the 80s that line has been used. It's just phenomenal. He has that great line, doesn't he, when they're in the tunnel, I wish you'd stop rubbing up against me as I can't concentrate (laughs) or something. (laughs) But it's like he's... He's clearly just doing it on purpose. I, I love it. I watched that, and all I was thinking is that I'm not sure if Carpenter is trying to pay homage to Leia and Han in Empire at this point, oh, like in the bit God. in the engine room of the Falcon. Mm. It's very similar, um, but yeah, it's just it's just really funny. And then of course we see we all of a sudden click on the fact that Gracie has green eyes when this monster that has been spying at them through that statue grabs Gracie, takes her away, and then. Old man Lopan spots that she's got green eyes, and there's that really creepy cry that he starts doing. Mm. It's quite unsettling. Uh, and then she gets thrown into the same room with Mao Yin, and so she starts to understand then, and then Lopan's there, explains the situation. And very, It's very hypnotic at this point, because he kind of very suggestive in the fact that now you've come to find me with your green eyes. And she goes, yes, wait, no, no, no. <laughs> and then there's that really creepy eye blast again. Egg has got everyone together. He's got his army, and they go into uh, they go into his building. And then you find out that he actually owns a lot of Chinatown. He's actually very, very well up the food chain. And the main building that they're working at is 
well, is known as Station 23, but Station 23 is also known as, Damien? Headquarters for the Ghostbusters. Headquarters for the Ghostbusters. It's the fire station. It's the pole, you can see the pole in the background as well. Yeah. yeah, so great. I actually put down in my notes when I was watching it, who are you going to call, Egg? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just, it's just great. It's just amazing. He's just kind of like, it, again, very tongue-in-cheek, but very funny. He just kind of like walks off for about 90 seconds and he comes out and he's completely <laughs> tooled up in a... In, in a new outfit and i just love kurt russell's reaction of like like, like eggs just there just goes like right everybody ready yeah ready when you are egg with his six demon bag six demon bag yeah (laughs) i love like every question that kurt russell gives him he responds with something he goes good thought so and walks off it's interesting this bit because we start to find out a little bit more about egg chen and potentially who he is or what he is Mm. and we've only have a glimpse of that right at the beginning of the film up until this point he's just been like some like bumbling old man but actually there's a lot more to him and actually on this recent watch i'd kind of come to a conclusion about who he is but mm. I'll save that for the end. Yeah, there's something, there's something I thought about that as well. He's very, it's, again, it's very Yoda-esque. Mm. Pretending to yeah, be one definitely. thing and then it, all powerful. But then you've got, the, he, he opens the manhole, which is the bit that goes under Chinatown, with the black blood of the earth. The fog of dead trees. <laughs> and the fog <laughs> the of dead trees yeah. and stuff like that. Again, just just wonderful the 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 writing for this is just and the the design it is so poetic it is so beautifully done it is so underrated but again i just love the ignorance of jack burton in this he goes like this that is the black blood of the earth you go, oh what, you mean like oil you go no i mean black blood of the earth also during that scene where they're walking through the underworld you get another great glimpse of like another practical effect We've already seen one monster mm. that took yep. Gracie, but then all of a sudden, like through this this tunnel, this massive creature just plucks one of these guys out and then just disappears. It's like it is a moment of where did that come from and what else is going to happen? We're slowly being introduced to monsters. Mm. It's like all oh, this is another level in the film. Yeah, everything starts ramping up at this point. Like you can see, you can you can slowly start to see where the budget starts going because then yeah. we start getting into the realm of the, the we we do start getting into the realm of the of the supernatural and the monsters and uh, and, and and the layer the layer I want to talk about this I'm jumping ahead a little bit but I do want to talk about the layer because there is so much neon oh. in this scene. <laughs> <laughs> this is. For a like for an ancient mystical being that Lopan is, God love it. He loves an eighties <laughs> tint to a to a room. Uh, I was really actually there was like they were talking about like a lot of that was like some of that scenery was actually quite dangerous. <laughs> you will sit later on, but I just love the escalator. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was just like I was like I, I was watching it and it was, I was, you had to do a double take going, yep, there's an escalator in this. I was just like it's so <laughs> out of place, but. For I can kind of feel like he's it's like for the time it's kind of using modern technology in a in a lair. It's like he's an old man. He doesn't need to walk up and down steps when there's an escalator in the world. It's... <laughs> <laughs> they end up in Lopan's office just before they get to the lair. I mean, we see all this 
like we see everything happening in the in the layer with the with the wedding being prepared and so forth but they end up in lopan's office and that's when egg pulls out this bottle <laughs> the medicine medicine <laughs> earth fire all that good stuff egg's potion actually, when they get in, when they actually find the lift after the first what well, first and only use of the word fuck in this film Yes, but they're getting and it just turns them all slightly gay. They all stop touching each other and feeling egg up. <laughs> what is going? Is in? It's 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 clearly some sort of MDMA that they've dropped or something like that. They're all way too happy to be going into this to, to be going into <laughs> this. Jacks up. Is it me? One way ticket to is hell. It getting hot in here. <laughs> yeah. So what is in that potion? <laughs> The, yeah, I actually just wrote that. It's, it's because I always wonder what happens when he, what heroes talk about in a lift before the big showdown. Uh, just, they're just all like smiling, grinning at each other. Because I don't, don't feel scared at all. I feel kind of good. Yeah, it's just like like the lead gang member just got got his hand on Egg's yeah. shoulder and just starts massaging it. I just go, I have no idea what's going on right now. I've seen films like this. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then of course they go into the like they, they, they walk into the wedding, they're seeing the wedding as it's happening, which of course now because there are two girls with green eyes, Lopan is going to marry both of them. Uh he's going to kill Gracie and then he's going to keep Mao Yin for himself. He does say that he will kill one and keep the other for earthly pleasures. So creepy. It is. It is. I'm not going to lie, I had a very uh, immature adolescent chuckle with the phrase needle of love. <laughs> I'm not proud of it. I'm not proud of it. So now, <laughs> now my disciples, the moment of truth, the needle of love. <laughs> he actually stabbed stabbed her with that. You can see her flinch. Really? Yeah, she, he actually, he, yeah, James Wong actually stabbed her with it and she flinches. So much about this film where you, like, like, like when you look at it, it's still amazing, but you think there was a... Like, very very things could have like mm. a lot of things could have gone wrong and we need to this the great final standoff in this film i've seen gifs of this left and right oh. i can't even remember what for now where they're just all standing there they're going yeah before they run at each other and kurt russell they're going yeah fires his gun off in the air and a big chunk of rock breaks off and smacks him unconscious on the head That's... <laughs> that is my favorite bit of the whole film and it was improvised by Kurt Russell. He said, how about I do this? Really? And it, yeah, he said, I just do this. Make him even more of a fool. And it's my favourite scene. It's to be followed by another one, again with, with Kurt, and it's a visual gag. But yeah, no, that was completely improvised. Uh, one of the things we also see for the second time is um, Lopan's floating head. The Guardian. The Guardian yes. that we were introduced to a little bit earlier. During the entire film, there are some creepy moments. There are some like scary moments, but it's actually the, one of the f first times I saw this film and I saw that effect. That's what scared me. That's what weirded me out because it was so unrelatable. And the, and the it's the eye mm. in the mouth that yeah. does it. Yeah. At it's least. The, and he, he licks himself like the, it's just it's awful. It's a horrible scene. Yeah. But at least with the, the beast monster, it's like humanoid. But yeah, this little floating eye, it just freaks me out. But I, I love the effect. I love it. That is where most of the effects budget went. And it, uh, two operators, miles of cable. And it was pretty much run like Slimer from Ghostbusters. So they'd had the experience a couple of years before previous with that. And so and that, just they 
did the best with what you know with less less than half the budget effects budget but that's where most of the effects budget went was into the guardian nice it's a brilliant little character it's fun because now of course we're getting into the final fight now this is the big showdown it's all going to kick off here you see wang chi just kicking ass everywhere he's got the brilliant fight scene with rain Absolutely. Yes. And like all of this is so, like everything like this is so it's not done in parody for what is uh, a kung fu movie in mainstream Hollywood at the time for 80s. This is not done as a parody. If anything, I think John Carpenter is being very respectful and very um, accurate to a lot of kung fu movies that were made 10, 15, 20 years before. Like, a lot of wire work and stuff like that. Um and it all boils down to, 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 to this to this final fight, which again you can see where budget has really come in at this point. Yeah, you say you say wire work. I did I did read, and actually I may have even heard it on the commentary, that actually a lot of it was done with trampolines. Hmm. What? Yeah, no, that yeah. makes more yeah. A lot of it is is just very practical effects of the mm. actors jumping as high as they can yeah. and cameras being on tilt. Wow. With that knowledge, it makes the fight scene so much more impressive because mm. there are some incredible swordsmanship taking place there. And as you say, I think it's very, it is not a parody. It doesn't take the mick. It is very, it's, a, it's an actual kung fu fight scene. Very sympathetically done. Mm. Yeah, they're not playing this for laughs. They actually, no, it could be played for laughs and it would fall, it would be horribly, it would be awful. But this whole thing, this whole film, it's a comedy, but they play it straight how comedy should be done. Absolutely. The, the, I think this has a perfect balance in this film. They don't they don't play it for laughs. And it is very um, like the like the action. It doesn't detract from the action or anything like that. It's it, it's very subtle. It's very played down. Well, I say played down because then we get into the showdown between <laughs> Egg and Lopan, yeah. which. So. <laughs> I don't even know. Yes, exactly. Um, Ollie's doing a, a, a perfect mime, yeah. which is amazing um, entertainment for an audio podcast. <laughs> that when <Apologies>. you, <laughs> oh. <laughs> which of course, um, Egg and Lopan fight each other with magic. In again, it's always a thing. You got two beams of light hit at each other, and then it battles back and forth in this weird tug of war or push of war, I suppose is the is the is the case. And then whilst this is going on, like James Hong has got his his really long like, fingernails crossed, which is where the beam is coming out of. And whilst this, he's got like almost like a W shape, and while that's going on, his thumbs are clicking like he's playing an arcade game, mm. and that is having his stitches for years. Yeah. I think it was such. A funny touch. It's very. It's uh, basically it reminds me of Tekken Yoshimitsu versus whoever and the God Skeletor in Masters of Universe fighting He-Man towards oh, yes. the end. Yeah, yeah. where it's all the lights are off and that. Yeah, it's and it's all again also Yoda versus Palpatine with yes as well. It, it's funny you mentioned about Master of the Universe. I can guarantee that's going to yes. make the rounds on this podcast <laughs> oh, yes. at some point. Oh. I can mm, promise excellent. you that. There's also an exchange which takes place between Lo Pan and Egg Chen, which kind of implies that they've been at this for centuries. Mm. He, he makes mm -hmm. a comment of like, oh, my, 
my old friend, my old foe. It's like, and they've just come to this, like this set to, and I, I think that's the really, I really like, I like that bit. I like that we've just perhaps potentially found out that Egg Chen is also like a millennium old. Oh yeah, I don't think he's. I don't think he's a spring chicken. I don't. I. I think he's. He's not as young as he appears. And when I say that, I mean obviously he's an old man in this. But I think yeah, he's. He's. I think he's up in like three, four, like digits here. And and this potentially explains why he's so wealthy, and owns mm. half of Chinatown, because he has lived so long, and. It's only been the last like watch that I perhaps had this slight epiphany. I, I think it's really interesting. I really mm. would love to know that backstory. It 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 is interesting because I think when you look at it through through that lens, and I think that's even more plausible when you see that because when he's driving his tour bus to begin with, he's talking about the history of Chinatown in in, in quite a bit of detail, which you think, well, it's a it's a tour bus. He would have to know a lot of history with that and this base of his culture and whatnot but there's just something about it where you just think you have to ask yourself was he there did he actually live through that like there's a line at the end i'm going to i'm going to go off skip ahead a little bit but there's a line that he says to jack where he says well china's in the heart jack wherever i go she's with me and i don't think that's just a sentimental thing i think that's because he literally Mm. has no one left there to go back to no i agree it's almost like he gives that history talk but actually he's just regaling his life Mm. and yeah it's not until like you perhaps get to the end of the film or at least this part of the film that you that you realize that that he has lived quite the life keeping evil at bay yes yeah i think yeah i think he's definitely he he has lived a life and he has been probably you get the impression that he's been one of the few guardians left at this point then of course the fight ends. There's no real winner. And again, you get the impression this has been going on for a very long time because Lopan even turns around him and says, you never could beat me, Eggshen. So there's obviously been this this push and pull between them for a very long time. Lopan runs away with, uh, with Mao Yin. Gracie has managed to get away and is with Jack at this point and she's there heading back up to Lopan's office, which is when things start getting... Jack says it's cooler up there, but it seems to be getting hotter in the lift. I'm going to go back just before, and whilst the fight's going on, obviously, uh, with um, Eggshen and um, Lopan, um, there's still fights going on. And at this point, Jack's now got up from being knocked out, and he's gone to fight. Um, he's gone up against a... Um, like They had some sort of ceremonial guards there. And um, he went to get his knife out of the boot as the guy would come in. So he falls on his back and then pushes a knife through his oh, yeah. neck <laughs> into the guy and then gets stuck. Like Gimli Lord the Rings underneath the York. <laughs> it's stuck. <laughs> and um, you, just, you just see him, like, every so often it just like goes round other fights and comes back to him, still stuck in his one position, trying to get the, get the guy off of him. Oh, it's... <laughs> I would love if that's where Peter Jackson got the idea for Gimli to be trapped under that. Well, Kurt, Kurt Russell loves a boot weapon. The boot yeah. gun in Tango and Cash. <laughs> yes. But no, what we're coming up to is the bit in the lift. The bit after the whole end fight is my yeah. favourite visual gag. He's wearing the lipstick. For the, yes. for the rest yeah, of the it, lips- it's my favourite visual thing for this whole The film. lipstick smudge it's is hilarious. just perfect. Just perfect. I mean, that whole scene really, again, is the timing of it comedic 
and choreography wise is just so well done i love the fact that like even like lopan and thunder are not even really looking at him as if say what the fuck do you look like like they're not questioning anything they're just going along with it so we've got bigger fish to fry right now but you've you've got thunder and and wang chi going off and and having the fight with them and then you've got the the moment the big final showdown moment where jack throws the knife and it misses by a mile and hits the gong and i just love the turnaround that both lopan and mao yin who hasn't had a lot of stuff to do in this film she's literally been thrown into the back of a car and been asleep for the entire film and then she finally just has it just kills it in this one look with <laughs> lopan is just so well done and then you like we boil back to the fact of why does he have such good reflexes because he throws the knife catches it throws it back kills lopan instantly because during this he has become flesh again luckily i think um egg chen said it during the um sort of the whole talk before the whole battle he says we have to let it the ceremony get to a certain stage before he kills um one of the one of them because he becomes um human again um and gets his corporeal body back so he can then be killed so they have to, that's i say that's where he's got it from yeah yeah it's also it's of course the, the line is like, ah it's good knife yeah goodbye mr burton and it's also like it's a bit like Macbeth. He can't be killed by mortal, ma- but it's like Lopan cannot be killed by anyone from the east. Yeah, a westerner. As soon as he's mortal, just mm. reminds me a bit of you know can't be killed by any woman, woman born. born yeah. yeah, but Trucker rocks up, and then just by pure of his catchphrase, right the saves the day. <laughs> I mean, you can't. Yeah, you can't get more red, white, and blue than that, can you? Just to steal, steal, <laughs> steal a saving after Wang has done all of the legwork <laughs> yeah. up to this point. Like, Jack's the one that gets the final it's blow It's all in, in. The, the reflexes, yeah. <laughs> it's all in the reflexes. I say that, though, because, of course, while they're having their moment and grinning at each other and Gracie's all moon-eyed mm-hmm. and going, ah, they suddenly realise, oh, shit, no, Wang's getting his ass kicked. And they turn around, and it's just a perfect shot. Oh, you mentioned the cinematography of this film before. It's just a great moment. It's just a static shot down a hallway and you just see them run back and forth and various little bits. And the guy that plays Thunder, I've always loved the fact that like out of nowhere, he just runs past and there's this ancient artifact on the table and then he just <laughs> smashes his hand through it for no reason at all. Very Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Very Scooby-Doo, yeah. <laughs> but it also plays into like the, the theme that goes throughout the film. Is it, It's a little bit slapstick. Mm. You know, it, we have this beautifully shot through a door into like this elaborate Chinese emperor's room and yeah you've just got wang running back and forwards while he's being pursued by is it yeah by thunder just toing and throwing it i I, it's it's a stunning bit of like cinematography but it's just comedic value it's intense it's brilliant i've never fully understood the moment where because after lopan has died like there's no winner or loser between wang and thunder all it is is that Thunder notices that his master is dead and then does his best Mr. Creosote impression. <laughs> and does his exhale where his chest expands and he just keeps going to the point that he eventually explodes. Now, again, the practical effects, the makeup and the effect they did for that was very good. I'm still not 100% on why that happened. Because 
No one else. Granted, Rain has been killed by by Wang Chi in the in the big final fight you know, yeah. in this great sword fight. And then Thunder does this. Lightning doesn't seem to give a shit. <laughs> he doesn't just burst into flames like he 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 goes after vengeance. But Thunder's just a bit like, nah, fuck this, and just explodes. <laughs> I took it that the fact is they're they're. The, 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 the generals, I say, of, of Lopan, he's noticed this guy he's, he's sworn to protect has now been killed. And he, I feel he's just, he's he's realised, like, as out of honour, mm. he's failed his duty yeah. and so he's Fall on the sword. doing it his, his own way. Yeah. Um, I yeah, can't remember yeah. if it's just before that, though, before he, um, he saw Lopan dead. Was it when um, Gracie gives Jack the spear and then Starlight goes, they hear the fight going on, so they give him the spear and then just then he about to run off and grabs him and just wipes off the uh, the lipstick and they go, you're good to go now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <Yes>. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, of course we see the like thunder has has fallen on his sword and the guys are about to escape and that's when they see the final guardian. They see the final storm turn up and lightning. Lightning, if anything, was probably, I think, out of the three of them, the one that scared me the most when I was a kid. You never really see his face, apart from, like, once or twice. He's always wearing... Like, he's he's never really there a lot of the time. He's auditioning for Mortal Kombat, <laughs> that's why. Oh, God, possibly, yes. <laughs> then, of course, while the guys are getting away, we see HN has this amazing entrance and, to me, one of the greatest lines of the entire film... <laughs> where he's just yelling down a hole at them and he goes, hello, hello. And they look up and go, how did you get up there? And you go, wasn't easy. And then, of course, they get like the, the, grapp- the, the grappling hook and things like that. And again, they get everyone up. Wang's the last one and then like lightning's coming up. And again, it's just, I, I, I don't know if it's the music or the effects or a mixture of the two, but yeah, one of it did used to scare me quite a bit when I was a kid. He does. He's the one that kind of has like the genuine fear behind him because throughout the film we see the 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 other two um let's call them bodyguards kind of in a mortal state you know in their yuppie suits you don't really see that with lightning Mm. the only other time we do see lightning is when he actually hypnotizes the two girls and their eyes become white so he like perhaps potentially has a greater power than we're aware of and while he's in that sewer scene, I just love it when he's just like, he's almost throwing shapes of lightning at this metal grate above him and it melts with such tremendous force. Again, in a really beautifully like shot scene as well. When they escape, they're heading into the warehouse and when they do that, they see the Porkchop Express, they see the truck. And whenever I see that scene, I do wonder how the hell it hasn't been stripped down for parts yet. <laughs> like a fair... A fair chunk of time has gone since this, so I don't know why they've kept it in one piece. And then, of course, they run away. By this point, flames like fire alarms are going off because Egg Chen has thrown a statue at lightning and he's exploded, and there's all sorts of chaos going on. And then they stop through all of this, like Gracie just says, Stop! Red light! It's the least of your problems. And then you've got the love, like Wang Chi and, and Mao Yin have this kiss. And then, like, Gracie's just looking at it, just going, ah, oh, that's nice. Oh, the light's green, you can go now. <laughs> There's a deleted scene, which there was an, an extended ending, when while that was going on, the Lords of Death are seen again, the three guys from the beginning. Jack sees their car, and they go up and park by the dock, so they're away from the cops, and they're out of trouble, and they're not going to get found. And he just 
T-bones up. He just jams them into the sea, runs them off the dock, and everyone's looking at him just going, what? And he goes, I feel so much better now. I really, really do. <laughs> I just want to go back a little bit when they find the truck. For me, both, this is, I've only seen it twice, but both times I watched it, I expect the truck to go forward out the door, and then when it comes bursting out with reverse, <laughs> gets me every single time. I'm not going, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I forgot about that. Yeah. I just think he's just like, they're in there, like, let's go. And then obviously, I like the whole thing. He's like, I haven't got my keys. Can you hold? He's like, I got, he's like, you got a spare one underneath the seat. And he's like, I think it's a Wango and you've got a spare one underneath the seat. And he's like, so I have. <laughs> and then they're just so expecting you to go forward. And then it's obviously bursting out right in reverse. He's like, <laughs> it makes me every time. That's it. The good guys get away and have the obligatory celebration in Wang Chi's restaurant afterwards, in which they are not seen to be shook about anything that's happened at all. They just happily just write it off as something that happens. The last scene between uh, between Gracie and Jack, the, the quote-unquote goodbye scene, is mwah, brilliant. Like we go back, like, you know, we talk about this being almost like a stylized and contemporary Western, the idea of this this man in black, this stranger just coming in out of nowhere and then we'll just breeze back into the wind again, which is why he doesn't say goodbye, which is why he doesn't kiss her. And John Carpenter does his damn level best of making it out that there is no way that Burton is going to be able to do that. Like, they have Cattrall framed in that, like, so perfectly, just le- just just leaning up against that post, just looking at him, proper puppy dog eyes, and he's just so cool in the way he just goes, he said, God, you're not even going to kiss her? And he just looks at her. And again, just perfectly framed. And just, I just love the way you nope, <laughs> and walks off. I don't know if it if they're trying to like subtly do some sort of honour thing because he knows he's, he's not a nice guy, let's be honest. like He might have done stuff for the right reasons, but he says it himself. He rubs everyone up the wrong way. And I think eventually that would have been just doomed. Yeah, I was going to say that exact line. He He knows, like... He does just piss people off, ultimately. And that line is brilliant. Ultimately, I rub everyone up the wrong way. I'm I'm saving you the effort here. I know this isn't going to work out. And then we've got we've got that lovely bit between Jack and Wang. It's like, we really shook the pillars of heaven. You know, yeah. Another one of those. Another great lines. It's a great moment between them. Actually, they've got some like like the whole film. I think between the two of them, they really do. For the majority of the story, I think they do steer a lot of the film. I'm not going to include James Hong in that or even like Kim Cattrall with what they do because they're not actually really in as many scenes together, any no. of them. I think they're all in their little bubbles, as it were, they're, and they've all got like just really great moments. And when it's put together, we get this this absolute gem of a movie. And then, of course, we see Jack riding off into the sunset again. He's doing his he's doing his CB act again, his little his little wireless radio podcast. That's when the the very last moment of the of the film is that we see he has a he has a he has a hanger on a cliffhanger on if you will and the the the, the monster like lopan's beast has actually hitched a ride on the truck that's where it ends they end with this thing of like is there going to be another one are we going to see what happens and of course no you have to wait 30 years and buy the the comic run from boom studios to find out Dude, that's what i was about to touch on as well but also kurt russell references in that last monologue he references the three storms. It's when the lightning's crashing and the thunder's rolling and the rain's coming down. Yeah. So he pretty much sums up what he's just been through. 
but yeah, oh, it's all, so, yeah, the monster is called Pete. They give it a name in the Boom Studios comic. That's right, yeah, I forgot about Pete. that. Yeah, all sorts of stuff about the afterlife of this film here. And the comic, it even crosses um, with Escape from New York. Where he seems to have Snake Plissken and Captain Ron turned up. Yeah. Captain fucking Ron. <laughs> we did Captain Ron as yeah, well. Cap- I remember yeah, the Snake yeah, Plissken yeah, run. Yeah, it doesn't but... end well. No, this is all in the same thing. It's Escape from New York crossed with Big Trouble in Little China and Captain Ron's in it as well. It doesn't end well for Captain Ron. But, um, yeah. And there's also Old Man Jack. They've done as well a riff of Old Man Logan. Wow, really? Mm. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, for anyone that hasn't read the Boom Studio comics that they did, which literally follows as the film finishes. Mm. Um, if anyone that is listening hasn't read it, I do recommend it. It's worth checking out. And that's the that's the film. For a film that came out in 1986, the budget, as Damien said, we were going to touch on this, the budget for this film was around $25 million. This film tanked badly. It was so poorly received that it only made just over $11 million. It barely got half of the budget back. And probably a big reason for that is Fox didn't promote it because what did they release 16 days later? Aliens. Well, it's interesting that you're saying about the the film. I'm going to get into that in a second because I've compiled a list. 1986 was ridiculous. Mm. So the, the it tanked in the box office. It's still very popular, though. Like, for a PG-13, obviously it was a PG-13 because you get that one use of, of fuck yes. in, a, in a film, which, again, was so funny when they did that. It goes, hollow, hollow, fuck it. <laughs> um, but even to this day, like, Rotten Tomatoes has a critic score overall of 78% and an audience score of 82 So it, it's taken a long time, but it, it's had a very big cult following for years. I can't think of anyone, really, other than my wife, that, <laughs> that when I mention this film doesn't really think of it in a positive way. Like, Re really doesn't like the Mine film. hasn't even seen it. So I struggle with <laughs> genre films like this to get her to see more to them. So. <laughs> Movies that came out in 1986. So this is, this is just, this is an alphabetical order. This is a bit of a long list, so bear with me. And I'm going to read this quite quickly. Aliens, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Flight of the Navigator, The Fly, Basil the Great Mouse Detective, Crocodile Dundee, Highlander, Howard the Duck, Karate Kid Part 2, Labyrinth, Little Shop of Horrors, Police Academy 3 Back in Training, Pretty in Pink, Short Circuit, Stand By Me, Star Trek For The Voyage Home, Three Amigos, Top Gun, and Transformers The Movie. And speaking of Highlander, Kurt Russell turned down Highlander to do this film. Yeah, I read about this. I genuinely cannot imagine that film. I cannot imagine anyone playing Conor McLeod other than Christopher Lambert. Also, um, at the start of the movie, the logo. The Chinese does translate into something. It's evil spirits make a big scene in a little spiritual state. So when it comes to a big trouble, we'll try and all the Chinese characters actually do mean something. It had the obligatory computer game, and it was very rare as well it, for the time. It was a it was a side scrolling beat 'em up. It went from right to left instead of from left to right. Oh, nice touch. Yeah, you could play as Jack, Wang Chi, and Egg Shen. You started off with no, nothing, just bare fists. Jack could pick up a gun with limited ammo. Wang could pick up swords that would break after too much use. Egg Chen had weak magic spells, which would increase with range and strength if he drank a potion. So quite, quite innovative for the for the top and um, for the eight bit systems it was released on. I do want to raise the fact. I mean, like for me, I talked about this on the YouTube channel a little while ago. I was talking about TV shows that I'd want to show Wyatt when he's a little older. Wyatt's my son, listeners, for those wondering. Obviously, he's two in February, and so there are certain shows and animation that I want to show him uh, when he gets like three or four, when he can understand what's going on. And one of them was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles oh, yes. 
that they did in 2011, mm. I think it was. 2011, 2012? Yes, yeah. And they did an episode which it took me a minute to realise what was going on. And then I all of a sudden realised that they were completely parodying Big Trouble in Little China, right down to the fact that James Hong returned as the Lopan-style <laughs> character, which was just incredible. This and The Thing being mauled by critics led to John Carter losing a lot of his influence and studios were starting to interfere, which is why he went off to do independent movie making pretty much after this. See, it blows my mind that The Thing was that badly received. It is a complete masterclass. It is, but it's the tone. And E.T. was released at the same time. So you had two, fil- two films about alien visitors one very fluffy and one that is the complete opposite and audiences just didn't like the ending even though it's a classic ending one last little thing especially for you released on the 20 of the 2nd of july 1986 eight days later kurt russell's son was born named wyatt russell that's just for you oh no way yeah, just for you <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a trait with um john carpenter films the the ambiguity in the ending mm. and how things are always left open i mean it was classically mm. done with the thing yeah, and you've got the fog, which you mentioned as well, Ollie. Yeah, the fog has has a rather ambiguous ending as well, and all of them do. And I think that's potentially what not killed off his like his studio career, but you know, set him in another trajectory into independent cinema where he could do what he wanted to do. He didn't have to have the answers that Hollywood wanted. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think a good note to to. I don't really like now I think we live in an industry as far as film goes where I think the filmmakers have a little bit more clout they do try and stand up for a bit more of the integrity the studio still pulls a lot of strings with it and has a lot more power over it but I think if someone like John Carpenter stood out now then I think they would be listened to a, a lot more I agree. I think the 80s, I think they were, I, I think there was a lot of things that were very formulaic. I think they didn't take a lot of chances. The auteurs died out over the years, I think. It's just, I think it's just him and James Cameron are the only I can really think of these days that do pretty much have hand in everything, every sort of step of production. I'm trying to think if Catherine Bigelow did for a while. I know that she did with um with with Near Dark actually. Oh, must do that. That's that's on the list. Don't worry. Oh, yeah. we've got to do that. <laughs> and that's it. I think that's a really good place for us to finish on. Really, and uh, I think it's safe to say that I don't really think we need to go around and say if we would recommend this or not. We kind of knew going in that the four of us were always really going to love this film. It's stuck with three of us for years and like luke's watched it twice and he's been gripped with it both times so <laughs> and he bought it especially <laughs> he spent money <laughs> bought yeah, it especially yeah. for the podcast so if he's willing to spend money for it you know clearly there is something worth doing i'm sure it'd be on disney plus at some point as, as it's a fox <laughs> film I bet, I bet it is i didn't even check there i forgot the check of course i forgot about that <laughs> <laughs> but i for the whole, the style, the soundtrack, the elements, mm. I think it's all there. I quite, I enjoy it. Yes, it's a cult thing. Not everyone's going to enjoy it. But if you're like us, you will definitely enjoy this film. That's all I can say. Gentlemen, I would like to say thank you again, Damien, Ollie and Luke, for taking the time out for joining me on today. It's been a lot of fun. I hope you've enjoyed it too. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Again. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's a pleasure to be on. Good to see you all. And of course, thank you to all of you that are listening at the moment. It's been a lot of fun to getting the podcast started and you know we're looking forward to the next instalment. Hope you are too and we hope you're enjoying it. In the meantime, you can follow us on social media at the usual haunts. Facebook is the Geeks Journal, Instagram at the Geeks Journal, and Twitter at Geeks Journal UK. Until next time, end of line. <laughs>